Welcome to the Path to Manliness. I am Ryan Fellman, and I am joined by uh, our first lady guest, which I am excited <laughs> to have. Um, she's been on a TED Talk, and uh, her name is Cynthia Thurlow, and I will go ahead and let her introduce herself here, and uh, we're going to talk about all sorts of crazy things from intermittent fasting to possibly parasites, if I can stomach that. <laughs> Honestly, just thinking about it, it's kind of making my skin crawl a little bit. So, Cynthia, go ahead and tell us about yourself a little bit. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Ryan. I'm I'm honored to be your first female guest. And as Ryan mentioned, I am a nurse practitioner. I am a two-time TEDx speaker. I am a functional nutritionist, and I'm super passionate about bringing more awareness to um, how food influences our health. Uh, I actually live in Washington D.C. with my all oh, my boys. I have two doodles, um, two boys and my husband, and I'm the only female in a house, including a lizard. The lizard's even a male. So I am all about the manosphere on Twitter. I've been enjoying getting to know lots of interesting individuals, but um, honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on board. Um, what's a, is a doodle a, a poodle dog breed? What is that? <laughs> Yeah, so I have a Labradoodle, which is a cross between an English Lab and a Poodle, and then I have a Golden Doodle, who is a as, okay. yeah Poodle and Golden Retriever, and so they are designed to kind of not be dogs that shed. Um, I have one that doesn't shed, and the other one does, and my husband refers to our Rescue Doodle as the George Costanza of dogs, which if you aren't familiar with who George Costanza is, that probably means you're a little younger than me. Yeah. <laughs> me too. Seinfeld, yeah. <laughs> Seinfeld reference. That's funny. I've got a I've got a husky and they're the opposite. All they do is shed. So like every single shed a, day. Shed a sweater. Oh, it's it's insane. Like I can't wear dark clothes around him. It's just I, I wear it all the yep. time. Um so you mentioned you try to bring light to uh to health problems and there's a lot of um miseducation or lack of education and, and false info. Um and uh, I was asking you just before we started this about some of the, the hate mail that you've been getting because of the advice you're giving, which that, that shocks me. So here I am as Path to Manliness, the guy that's got this obnoxious um, aura about that name and, and it gets a little bit of flack on Twitter, but I don't get too much hate mail, but you're this you know self-respecting TED talker trying to make people healthier and they're, they're responding with hate mail. I mean, what is it they're, they're upset about? Well, I think it triggers them. I mean, I... Use this example yesterday. The two biggest tweets I've ever had have been about sugar, and it triggers people. I, I recognize that food is an emotional issue for so many. And so, if I'm talking, if I'm, you know, it's like poking the bear, if I'm poking the bear about something that you're sensitive about, some people can take the information, digest it, and say, hey, I'm going to make my, my health better. I'm going to make better choices. And other people get angry about it. And it's really not about me, it's about them. Right. Uh, so when someone sends me an angry message, thankfully I haven't gotten a lot of them on Twitter. <laughs> when I get angry messages, usually they like to, the trolls like to get you in the feed. So it just kind of creates drama. Um, but when I get stuff like that, I, I usually reflect, is there something here that I could learn from? Is there, is there a different way I could have, I could have stated something or is there something that I was insensitive about? That's just my kind of analytical reasoning. Um, or is this a gigantic ass hat of a troll and if that's the case then I just get blocked I don't even interact with them I'm like you know what? I don't have the energetic capacity to deal with this so you just get blocked like there was um, there were two people the other day um, and there are certain 
individuals, groups of people on Twitter that I seem to inflame the most. Um, and for any vegan that's listening, I, I apologize if you if I irritate you, but um, I just have strong opinions about animal products and healthy fats, really important for our brains. And so um, one of the things I would I would say is that I try to be respectful if someone's trying to give me feedback, but if I determine that they're really just trying to be inflammatory and rude, someone was trying to poke holes at my education. And I was like, dude, <laughs> that's one thing you can't do. I'm like, you know, I, I just, I'm very confident about where I went to college and so, and university. So I don't, I just, I'm like, I'm not even, it's not even worth having a discussion. It's just yeah. like, let's just let it go. Well, with, with the trolls, I mean, and, and you're somewhat new to Twitter and as your account grows, uh, I've found that the trolls just grow. It's just a numbers mm -hmm. game. And yeah, your, your sanity at some point becomes a, a priority over absolutely and what they're saying so I'd block and move on if nothing else at least mute them yep um, it's interesting you mentioned vegan because I've, I've actually um scheduled to talk to a vegan here in the next couple Ooh. of weeks so that, that'll be <laughs> interesting. and i'm doing my best to keep an open mind to it um i don't have the the love of sugar that some people do but i do have mm. the love of meat so I, I tend to eat probably too much meat um is that such a thing is that such a thing <laughs> Well, I mean, I always say too much of anything is not a good thing, but I, I can tell you um, after a lengthy hospitalization this year, first time in my life I've ever been sick. Um, the first week I was in the hospital, I craved water because I wasn't allowed to have water. And the second week in the hospital, I had dreams about steak and burgers. And <laughs> since I left the hospital on March 2nd, I've eaten more beef than I've ever eaten in my entire life. In fact, my kids and my husband one night were like, you can't touch mom's grass-fed beef burgers. Like she's eating them twice a day. Um, and I think largely it was because my body was craving what it needed. It needed really iron-rich foods. Um, and I was eating a lot of citrus that do go along with that to, you know, build back my iron levels. But yeah, I mean, I think sometimes your body craves intrinsically what it needs. Yeah. Obviously, I don't think of um, steak or meat in the same vein as processed sugars. So that's kind of where I say if you're craving processed sugars and craving junk, you're missing something in your diet. If you're craving meat, I don't intrinsically think that's a bad thing. Right, right. So I, I think the the sugar thing is just a straight up addiction. It's mm -hmm. different than what your body is speaking to. Right. I agree. I agree. And if you think about most people's, you know, standard American diets of 80% of what's sold for food in the United States is processed, gives you some idea. I mean, there's sugar runs rampant in most processed foods. You know, you think about your condiments, your salad dressings, and is it any surprise that our, you know, from nearly birth, I mean, babies and toddlers and, um, you know, are all kind of conditioned for this, you know, kind of bliss point. And there, there's a really interesting book. And I, I would probably imagine you really like to read books like this. It's called Salt, Sugar, Fat. And it's an expose on the processed food industry, but really a really amazing book by Michael Moss. Um, it's like one of those top five books. I always say like books that changed my life. And that book just made me mad. But he talks a lot about the processed food industry and bliss points and how they make things as addictive as possible. They bring in these groups and they're like, okay, how sweet can we make this where people still want it, but aren't turned off by it. And so they do these focus groups and it's absolutely unbelievable. It's like not a surprise that we've got this disease, sick, obese culture that is just proliferating. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. Yeah. Um, I don't have an addictive personality. I've quit smoking a few times um I, i've quit for good for about three years now good for you um, 
I, I drink on occasion. I've never really had an addiction with that. But there's some sugar things that I can't like. I cannot do Oreos. Like yeah. Got um the little tiny pack. I might eat one or two. Mm-hmm. Like the, the whole big package of Oreos. Sleeve, like, yeah. I'll go through half of that in one yeah. sitting. And I just, yeah. I just can't have it around me. But there's there's a lot of truth to the how how addicting this food is. And the what gets me is I I know not to eat sugar. Um, mm-hmm. although I, I've eaten a lot of it lately. I ran a half marathon this past weekend and congratulations that's thank, awesome thank you it's my first one um but the day i ran that when i got done i was eating everything in the house like, i couldn't mm-hmm. stop and, and unfortunately it was also my son's birthday so there was cake kind of went to town on that but they, they get me with uh like bread or mm-hmm. other foods that you wouldn't expect to see sugar in and i become more vigilant but like what are some other foods that people are eating sugar in because I, I think part of the sugar addiction is one people they want it because it tastes good but Part of it's just they don't realize how pervasive it is in the average American's diet. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that. And I also think it's a self-soothing behavior. We know that, you know, for some people, maybe they're not eating enough calories and sugar is a quick fix. For some people, they're not producing enough healthy um, neurotransmitters in their gut. You know, about 75 to 80% of our neurotransmitters, which are those chemical messengers, um, serotonin is probably one, that dopamine. I mean, you start thinking about these things. you know, that are produced largely in the gut. And, and so if you're not eating a healthy diet, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll crave sugar because you know, you're going to get that serotonin, you know, that you're going to produce it just on the short term. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, sometimes you'll see it in um, some processed meats. You'll see it in just about every frozen food that you can think of. I mean, and it's, it's just proliferative. Um, I even saw recently that there was sugar in, um, Someone had like prepackaged deviled eggs, which you would think like who would put cane sugar in um, deviled eggs, but in Whole Foods, that was one of the listed ingredients. And I I thought to myself, I'm like, you know, it's that tantalizing desire to continue to feed that sugar fix. So if, if you're not buying, you know, a piece of fruit or, you know, something that has naturally occurring sugars in it, just about everything else. I mean, other than some vegetables, I mean, you're dealing with um, the I call it the sugar beast, um, you know, kind of sitting on your shoulder. And I mean, think about it this way. Like I like, I really like dark chocolate, but I like super high quality dark chocolate. And my kids unfortunately have the same penchant for really high quality dark chocolate, which drives my husband crazy. But there's one brand that I have that doesn't, it's dairy free. It's, you know, it's gluten-free, grain-free, all the things that are important to me personally. Um, and it doesn't have any cane sugar in it, but it's delicious. But because there's less sugar in it, it isn't as sweet. So I know I can have a square and genuinely be totally happy with it. And I myself, much like you, I don't have an addictive personality. I tend to really crave the foods that make my body feel good. So for me, it's like when I'm eating really well, I can sleep well. I have plenty of energy for my workouts. I'm not grumpy. I have sustained energy. Um, But when I eat garbage, which isn't very often, I I mean, everything gets messed up. I sleep. I don't sleep as well. Um, I'm grumpy. Um, my blood sugars impacted all those negative things. So you just wonder, you know, if we changed our diets little by little as a, as a culture, I think it would have profound impact on our interpersonal relationships, you know, sleeping better. You wouldn't need to be taking all these, you know, sleep supplements. And here's a good example. Almost every woman that comes to me in my business isn't sleeping well. And so one of the first things I'll say, okay, what have you tried? And so we have a whole industry that capitalizes on the fact we don't sleep well why do we not sleep well? I mean, there's a lot of reasons. We're addicted to our phones. We're addicted to, you know, blue light therapies. You know, we're on our devices. 
we can't gear down. We're sympathetic, dominant. Um, we're just go, 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 go until, you know, the fighting, you know, until the, until the bitter end, we can't turn our brains off at night. So there's so many things that need to be rectified to, you know, facilitate better sleep, which, you know, has these all downstream effects, blood sugar, um, you know, our brains are more active at night. We produce more human growth hormone at night than we do at any other time during the day. So, so important to get good quality sleep. And yet it's like the most underrated activity. Like everyone's like, I'll, I'll have time to sleep when I die. Well, no, not really. There's, there's this weird obsession with the productivity culture where, mm-hmm. you know, sleeping less is like seen as um, badge of honor, a badge of honor. Thank you. Yeah. And it's, it's frustrating because a lot of these people aren't even working efficiently. Um, I majored in economics, so I'll, okay. I, I like to say I, I went to school to learn how to make as much money as possible with as little effort as possible. So I'm, I'm, all about, <laughs> I'm all about true productivity. I want to be more efficient and, and working longer hours and sleeping less is not exactly mm-hmm. the path to working uh, more efficiently. And um, we've also got this culture of just seeking the quick fixes. So mm-hmm. instead of thinking, why can't we sleep? What, what kind of pill can I take? And right. Well, and, but, and that's, unfortunately, that is yeah. Western medicine has really, and, and let me just backtrack. Sure. I'm traditionally Western medicine trained. There is absolutely a need for Western medicine. I'm not in any way being critical of Western medicine as a whole, but it's a culture of we treat a symptom with a pill. That is what the pharmaceutical industry has done to medicine. And that's really unfortunate because instead of looking for the root cause for why we have a chronic health issue, we're just chasing symptoms all the way along. So my approach to sleep issues is, you know, let's look at the lifestyle stuff first. Let's start peeling. It's kind of like the onion, keep peeling back the layers till we figure it all out. And I find a lot of people, they don't sleep well because of what I've mentioned, but they also don't sleep well because they're too low carb, you know, carbs are important. Um, I know that there are some people who feel differently. I'm not, I eat plenty of meat, but I do believe that especially as a woman that I need to be having some degree of carbs. And so most women don't do well with less than 50 grams of carbs per day. If they're at a goal weight or if they're already thin, most people don't do well going much lower than that because they start to struggle with thyroid conversion from T4 to T3. Uh, But some of it can just be, you know, their macros are off. Are they just not, are they not eating a good dinner? Are they not eating enough carbs in the evening? Are they not even calories during the day? Are they, you know, tapping into, you know, there's this whole elaborate system for our body to maintain our blood sugar at night mm-hmm. and it won't work properly if you're not fueling your body properly. So I just see a lot of people either under eat or don't eat the proper macros and that can really dysregulate things further. So with this, the popularity of this keto diet, um, they're, they're not eating enough carbs and is that, is that unhealthy for them? Or Well, that- so let me be clear. There are definitely people that do really well with keto diets. Um, I find that men seem to do very well with them. If women need a lot of debulking, need to lose a lot of weight, I, I have no problems with a woman doing keto for a period of time until they've gotten to their goal weight. But then I find that they need to reintroduce some. And when I'm talking about carbs, I'm not talking about junk. I'm talking about squash and sweet potato and right. um you know things like that i'm i'm i don't do grains personally um and i find that a lot of people are intolerant to them and they keep eating them anyway um but i'd rather people have ancient grains if they really feel like they want to kind of you know address that side of things so i'm not anti keto i just think it's largely dependent on doing it properly and making sure that you're getting the support that you need and i find a lot of people end up eating too much fat on keto so it's really, you know, finding out what works best for them. You know, you can't go bananas and eat all the, I don't care what kind of healthy fat, unhealthy fat, 
you need to just be smart about your strategy when it comes to ketogenic diets. And I do think they can be very effective for people. Yeah, I've, I've had people I've known in, in real life that I've seen uh, mixed results. I've seen, mm-hmm. I've seen people lose a lot of weight on it significantly. Mm-hmm. And I've seen people uh, kind of struggle on it. From, from what I can tell, I think it's a great weight loss plan, mm-hmm. especially- if, I would say you know, debulking. <laughs> yeah, debulking, um, <laughs> that works too. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've seen that work. I think it works good um, short term. I don't know if it's a, a lifestyle. Yeah. And I've also seen people that are already pretty healthy. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to drop a few extra pounds and, and cut. And I, I'm, I'm seeing energy issues and I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. I'm and seeing it's also passing out. Yeah. And I think it's highly bio individual. Yeah. I mean, meaning it's not a one size fits all program. I personally, um, I do really well lower carb, but it messes with my sleep. So that's always my barometer when I'm doing too low carb. And, and I get all of my carbs from vegetables and you know I cycle my carbohydrates and I do really well with that. And I'm gluten, grains and dairy free. So you can exist in that world and, and be properly fueled. Um, but I know that my sleep gets messed up. So I always say, if I suddenly am not sleeping well, I'm like, okay, like the last couple of nights I've had sweet potatoes, a small amount, not a ton, maybe half a cup. But that's just enough to kind of give my body the added carbs. And I've just started back to the gym after being out the last three months recovering. So really about what works for people. I have some clients who can't tolerate uh, being too low carb. So it's, and then I have other clients who sail through it like a duck to water. So it really just depends on the person. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't really subscribe to any particular mm-hmm. ethos I suppose if, if anything I, I would say I, I strive to be paleo mm-hmm. um, to me just eating natural food agrees mm-hmm. with me but um, yeah. that being said when I got done with the race I, I was eating anything I could find yeah well you had to replace all those glycogen stores sure yeah yeah <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say when I was training for this race I didn't realize you were supposed to eat in the middle of it until about a month before the actual race so when I was running on my own trying to do these yeah, 10 go. miles yeah, the goose. Yep. I was I was crashing like six, seven miles in and just struggling. And then, then I started I discovered the goo. Mm-hmm. Like little squeeze packets of what it's like it's like a pudding. I don't know what yeah. exactly is in it. Yeah. My husband's a competitive triathlete. And so when he does his longer races, you know, I always laugh about having to buy the goo. I'm like, I'm not even gonna look at the ingredients. I it's a it's whatever your body needs at that point. Um yeah. you know, I have a, a girlfriend who's a iron triathlete and she, when she talks about her nutrition that she does around her races, it's unbelievable. There's definitely a strategy to it. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I, um, I'm still learning, but, um, I've understood that there's, there's very specific things you need to eat and it's not necessarily what you would expect. Right. Um, I had a bagel with peanut butter for breakfast the morning before the run, which that, that seemed to work great. Um, but yeah, when you get done, it's just any kind of carb, any kind of energy. I was mm-hmm. told to eat protein, but my body was craving like carbs and sweet yeah yeah and it's just listening i mean and i know that you know that's that's hard on your body to do a race that's that long so you probably for a couple days afterwards are feeling a little out of sorts Uh, yeah i agree (laughs) um what kind of foods would help with somebody that's say struggling with that in in this despite struggling with that maybe working out still <laughs> yeah no I, I i would say you know getting adequate protein healthy fats and carbs i mean it's really you know you probably the caloric replacement for sustaining that amount of effort over time i would imagine what a lot of people do is they do a race and then they completely go overboard with like completely overboard for more than like 48 hours um but i would say you know kind of getting back to getting back to basics you know having some 
you know, high quality protein, ensuring you're getting your healthy fats, which I'm a huge proponent of. Um, in a second, you may hear a dog bark because my middle schooler is getting off the bus. Um, and then plenty of healthy carbs and really dependent on what you're eating. Um, I, I think that, you know, if you prefer paleo and your body feels feels great and feels fueled on paleo, just making sure that you're kind of attentive to what works best for you. Like for a recovery meal, it might be okay. maybe you're doing like broccoli and chicken and some rice or, you know, whatever, if you eat rice um, or cauli rice. Which... Are you stalking me? Cause that was pretty close to what I had for dinner last night. Cauliflower <laughs> instead of chicken <laughs> or instead yeah. of um, broccoli. Um, so you, you don't seem to have any issues with the paleo diet. It, it sounds like you eat something similar to eat mm-hmm. natural foods. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I would say it's more of that kind of ancestral health perspective. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, I, I eat nuts, but I don't really eat a lot of seeds. Um, you know, I try to be mindful of, you know, it's usually like a three to one ratio, three vegetables for every piece of fruit. I do eat fruit, but I usually do. I love berries. And that's usually this time of the year is a great indication of, you know, trying to eat what's seasonal, um, I know you can get strawberries in the middle of winter, but it's not really, you know, that's not really the time of the year for them to be grown. They've been shipped from somewhere probably in South America um, and they don't taste like anything. So just trying to eat seasonally, being a locavore, like trying to support your local farmers. If you have the um, opportunity to get to know, um, you know, especially people that are your, your meat people, um, you know, getting to know your farmer that provides beef or pork or chickens. Um, yeah, you'll pay a little bit more, but then you know exactly how, what they've been raised on. I'm, I'm finding that more stores, you know, even where we are, are starting to share like this, this animal was great, was grass fed, grass finished. And for anyone who's not aware, the reason why you want to consume grass fed um, beef, for example, for example, 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 is that what the animal would eat in, I don't want to say in the wild, but if they were eating grass all day long, you know, our Unfortunately, these big feedlots and conventionally raised meat um, is given grains, and grains over time are very inflammatory. Um, we think about what um, you know this imbalance of inflammatory and anti-inflammatory omega threes and omega sixes. They get a preponderance of omega sixes, which are pro-inflammatory. And you know, many of these animals are given um, things like Skittles and Kool Aid and animal waste. I mean, there's all sorts of nasty things that conventional meat is raised on. And so I do believe the value of purchasing, you know, the highest quality protein that your, your budget permits. And, and for some people, that means pasture, that means organic. Um, it could be that you know you're, you're maybe down the farm a couple streets over um, is a farmer that you've gotten to know. And so you know the way that he, he or she you know, feeds their animals. So really an, important because if we consume diseased, fattened up, um, animals, I mean, we're then consuming this diseased animal. And what does that do for our bodies? It's not, you know, this cattle, they're, they're designed in many ways to get as big as quickly, quick, big and quickly as, as they possibly can. And unfortunately, that's not to our benefit. You know, what happens when we as humans get big and overfed really quickly, we develop, you know, insulin resistance, we become obese, we start having fatty, non-fatty liver disease, um, you know, all sorts of things that, you know, ideally we don't want to be consuming. So I always say just, you know, do what your budget permits, um, but you really want to be cognizant of that and, and understand the value of not being exposed to meat that's been fed pesticides and growth hormones and yeah. things like that. Yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense when you lay it out like that. Um, 
the average person <laughs> just doesn't really think much about what they're eating. They, they often go for what's cheapest and um, right. paid for in terms of healthcare. So I'm not that old. I'm only 31. But mm-hmm. when I grew up, I was a fat kid. And today's standard, that would be like, you know, a kid would be huge. But back then, I was probably 10, 15 pounds overweight. So mm-hmm. maybe I was a fat kid, but I was also playing basketball and, and baseball. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't really fat by today's standards. Right. But now, like all these kids, all these, especially these adults, everyone's like giant. I, I can't mm-hmm. get over how common of a problem this is becoming. I, the discipline and the habits of people, I, I don't think have changed a whole lot. It's got to be something mm-hmm. systemic to our society. So what do you attribute to the rise of obesity that we're seeing? And um um yeah i mean that's a great question and 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 so i think that it's it's multifactorial meaning there's multiple reasons i think the rise of the processed food industry high fructose corn syrup was introduced into the food supply in the late 1960s and you can watch a steady a steady increase in obesity rates from that time period i think that we're largely a much more sedentary society and so you can't out exercise a crappy diet so all these people that do CrossFit five or six days a week and then eat garbage, you know, in your 20s, you can get away with that, maybe your early 30s. But I think after the age of 35, 40, depends on the person, things start to shift and you can't get by on eating, you know, highly inflammatory garbage food. So I would say first and foremost, um, I think it's the processed food industry is doing a lot of it. I think that, you know, when you create inflammation in the body, it's really hard to lose weight. So we talk about sugar dairy, gluten, grains are usually the big ones. I mean, there's others, obviously. Seed oils play a huge role in um, inflammation in the body, and those are the omega-6 products. Um, I think it's that, and, and I just, like I mentioned, I think it's the stress that so many people live their lives under. You know, like you mentioned, we're in this culture of go, 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 go all the time. You know, it was interesting. My husband and I were in Spain, which is my favorite, favorite, favorite country in the world. Um, and even though they have this high unemployment rate, they're happy. They don't work 10, 12, 15 hour days. They work like a six hour work week. And I'm not suggesting that we have to abide by, you know, any other country's kind of principles. But when you go to Europe, you go to other countries, you just realize that people have a different quality of life. And I think, you know, ultimately we have to decide for ourselves, like, where do our values reside? Like, I don't want to kill myself to be able to have more money in the bank. I would rather be able to travel, enjoy my family and friends, live a high quality life, be able to move my body. Um, I can tell you personally, like being sick, you know, I'd never been sick a day in my life and ended up in the hospital for 13 days. And I almost, I was so sick. I was septic. I could have died. So what happened um, really, you? mentioned this a couple of times, but I'm getting curious. What happened to you that you had to spend 13 days in the hospital? Yeah. Yeah. So um, the moral of the story is even healthy people get sick. But the important point that I'm going to make at the very end is that because I was so healthy, I recovered much more quickly. Um, my husband and I had gone to Hawaii. My husband had business in Hawaii. And so I tagged along and just had fun. And um, two days after we got back, I developed, you know, nausea and vomiting, assumed I had picked up food poisoning because I'd eaten so much fish. Uh, and then the following day, I developed the worst abdominal pain I'd ever experienced. And I knew pretty quickly that I was sick. I just couldn't figure out. It was so, it was worse than labor pain. So for any person that's listening, um, and they have a significant other or wife that has gone through labor. They understand what that means. Uh, and it turned out my appendix had ruptured and my entire length of my colon 
was inflamed and they wanted to take me to surgery that first night. But they said, if we take you to surgery, we're going to take your entire colon. And I was like, no, no, I need my colon. Like, there's no way you're wow. taking my colon. Um, and thankfully I had a really amazing team of female surgeons who were completely on board with trying to honor what I needed to have happen. And so two days later, you know, they were giving me fluids. I was comfortable. I could at least, you know, get up and walk around a little bit. And then I got a small bowel obstruction. And then I had other complications that happened. I ended up having um, abscesses in my abdomen. I mean, every complication I could have, I had, and then some. Then I got a fistula, which is a tunnel. So I was in the hospital for 13 days, and I went home with a drain into my abdomen. And then I had an IV line. So I was getting IV antibiotics and IV antifungals for two weeks. Uh, and then finally, they pulled the drain. They pulled the IV out, and then. Four days before my second TEDx, um, I was able to have my drain pulled out. So um, the one thing that might, and then ultimately I had my appendix taken out, but not until six weeks after I was discharged. But the point of why I'm sharing all of this is that the reason why I came back so quickly was because of how healthy I was. And so my surgeon was telling me this. We, I saw her last week and she said, you know, you're not the average person your age. You know, most people your age would have... Um, could have died, um, would have been in rehab, would, they would have been smokers, they would have been obese, they would have been diabetic, and yet there were none of those things, and you completely rallied. Like She was supportive of me doing TEDx, um, and so I, I just intellectually, the two things I thought about was I wanted to get out to be with my kids, yeah. and I wanted to do TEDx um, so that I could inspire other people that you, know, you can rebound from, you know, I, I refer to it as, as my hiccup, um, you can rebound from these things, and so uh, yeah, that has definitely, that makes me even more passionate about telling people you want to remain as healthy and live healthfully as you can, because, you know, I could have had a completely different outcome. There was definitely a time when, you know, I had five specialists. Um, they couldn't, they weren't really sure why I wasn't turning around because I should have been. Uh, and, you know, I, again, I, I credit this amazing female surgeon who came to see me three times a day and was very, very diligent about my care that she just wasn't going to give up till she got an answer. But yeah, no one really knows why my appendix was bad. That's always the other question. You know, was it something you ate? Did you get an infection? We're not sure. It's the number one um, surgical emergency in the country. So it's not at all uncommon to have a bad appendix. Why it happened then, I don't know. Yeah, I never um, even but considered why it would happen. I always thought it was just random. Um, I almost had mine out once. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I thought I was going to get mine out, I should say. I, uh, I had a pulled muscle in my stomach, and it's weirdly painful to pull a muscle. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. And, and I wasn't too shooken up about it, but my, my dad was around, and he was panicked, and he thought he had his appendix taken out. He was, oh, I know what this is. I know exactly what that pain is. I'm like, all right. Um, that's, that's quite a story, 13 days. That's it was pretty miserable. I have to be honest. I, I mean, I think I can't stand the hospital. Like there's nothing, nothing mm -hmm. against people that work in the hospital, but like the second I wake up, I'm, I'm trying to get my cords pulled out. I'm like, where's the nurse? I need to go. She's like, no, you need to sit there. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, you go through a whole kind of, um, uh, kind of an emotional yeah. upheaval. I mean, first I was too sick to care that I was in the hospital. And then, you know, I had one day where I just allowed myself to feel pathetic um, and then they had to give me IV nutrition, which I didn't want because it's soy based. So I mean, it was, that was spinning me <laughs> out. And 
Um, dairy vegan soy or non soy IV. Yeah, there's no. It doesn't <laughs> exist. It's like a unicorn. I looked at the registered dietitian, and she was probably thought I was a complete nutcase. Um, <laughs> I, I was starving. No, I mean, and I was starving, so I didn't. I didn't really have a choice. That it was. Wow. I had to to take this stuff. But the point of why I shared all this is that. Um, you know, the reason why I rebounded as quickly as I did was because I was as healthy as I was. So, yeah. you know, having taken care of very critically sick, ill patients for many years, you know, in ER medicine and cardiology, you don't want to be in a position where your body can't fight back. You just don't want that for yourself. Um, you know, you, you start to question a lot of things and you realize you just have to surrender to the process of what's happening. Yeah. Um, you make a great point though about how staying healthy can help you get out of the hospital quicker and mm -hmm. help you avoid going in there in the first place. Um, I kind of have a bad habit of not really going to the doctor like at all, uh -huh. but, I, <laughs> but I, I do a very good job of staying healthy. So I don't have a reason to go. And um, mm -hmm. I, I did recently get a checkup and I was remarkably healthy. So good. Um, yeah. And part of that's because I've been doing these races. So I've been working out more and, mm -hmm. and eating better but it's been, it's been a multiple multi-year long battle for me to try to figure out how to eat healthy because mm -hmm. I was part of that generation that was raised on the, uh, the food pyramid that was prevalent in the nineties. Mm -hmm. They said like six to 11 servings of grain, which, I've, I've which is that. unreal. I've tweeted that out a couple of times. People are like, who told you this? I'm like, Oh, you're young. You don't remember. <laughs> it was uh, put together by the U S department of agriculture. So of course, yeah. eat more grains. Well, think about big ag. Who do they subsidize? Who does who does the yeah. USDA subsidize? And that's direct reflection of what's on the food guide pyramid. Yeah, exactly. I haven't even looked at it since then. I've lost all trust in it. So. Mm -hmm. I'm like a girl that's been cheated on. I don't. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the first thing I was actually going to ask you about, we haven't gotten to it yet, is uh, we started talking a little bit about fasting, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's gotten really popular lately. I I used to think that was such a crazy idea. And if you talk to the average person that's not in, say, the manosphere or like self-improvement Twitter, they think you have an eating disorder. If you even mention yes. you have skipping one meal, much less a couple. Yeah, um, yeah. So now, go, go ahead and just elaborate a little bit on, on fasting and, you know, what's a healthy time frame? I've done six yeah. hours. Yeah, so I think the magic number for most people is 16 hours of yeah. fasting. Um, obviously for some people, they can't start out with that number. So I would say start with 12, slowly increase it by an hour, every couple of days. Um, I just think the the average person, I mean, certainly there are people who shouldn't do it, but the average person gets so much benefit from shortening their feeding window. And, and I sometimes will tell people, listen, if you do nothing else other than fast, skip your breakfast every day. Most people will lose weight. They don't even have to change their diet. That's the amazing thing. I have a female client who is really funny. And so we had a personalized elimination diet and she admitted to me one day, she's like, well, I'm really happy I've lost eight pounds and I need to be honest. I don't, I don't do any of the nutrition stuff you recommended, but I do fast. And so for her, you know, late night, you know, binge eating on pizza or, you know, having a glass of wine with her husband or, you know, just snacking all day long was creating this, you know, excess weight gain and inflammation. So I usually recommend that people just start with 12 hours, you know, and I say, just skip your breakfast. Don't make it complicated. That's the one thing I love about intermittent fasting is it's simple. You know, you can adjust it to wherever, whatever you are doing. 
I think people get like a misconception because they just hear 16 hours and they're like, I can't go 16 hours without eating. Mm-hmm. Like, well, hang on. How long do you sleep? Because you're not eating right. and sleeping. So there's, there's seven right. to eight right there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like you said, skip breakfast. And if you don't eat late at night, which I mean, I think everyone knows not to eat late at night. Since in high school, I was like taught that. And, you know, well, maybe like college students do because they're up studying. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. At, at um, that age, that's, you know, that's a different you have a strange schedule. So you can shift that to just not eating breakfast, not eating lunch. Um, but as you get older, um, not eating at night, it's, it's huge. Plus you're not going to eat healthy things. You're going to sit around, you're going to watch no. Netflix. You're gonna <laughs> right. You're going to take, grab a bowl of ice cream. You're going to have like brownies or something that, you know, you can't just have a small portion. You have a big portion. But yeah, I, I mean, you start thinking about like for many people, it's about fat loss, but there are so many other benefits, you know, things like, um, lowered insulin levels, improved brain cognition. So many people will say, oh my gosh, I can totally power through anything work-wise first thing in the first couple hours in the morning because my insulin levels are low. I feel amazing. Or just thinking about the longer you fast, the more it induces um, this really cool term called autophagy. And so autophagy is just the spring cleaning of disease cells. And the longer you fast, the more autophagy is actually, you know, done in the body. And so um, there's so many benefits. I mean, you know, improve blood sugar, improve blood pressure, um, you know, these biophysical markers, reduce risk of Alzheimer's, um, you know, just lots of benefits that people just forget. We are not designed to be eating all day long. And yet we are part of this snacking phenomenon. Like I grew up in the seventies and eighties. And so my parents were very much, you ate breakfast, you went out and played, you ate lunch, you came in for lunch. And then you went out until dinner time, and you—I wasn't allowed to snack. It just wasn't part of the way we were socialized. And now, you know, my kids, who are both athletic um, and are both, you know, very fit, you know, when we go, when we used to go to games, I was stunned. You know, the amount of junk that parents are bringing. I'm like, your kid just ate breakfast. They do not need to have Doritos, Oreos, and a Gatorade. Like, come on, they exercise for maybe an hour. Yeah. Um, and they're not doing an endurance race. They really don't need this junk, but yet we feel compelled to feed our kids like all day long. And, and granted, let me give you the disclaimer. Kids are growing. They should not be fasting, but I have a teen and a tween and they eat. It's ridiculous how much food my kids eat. They're, they're in this growth spurt. Obviously kids are an exception if they're eating healthfully, but you know, most adults would really benefit. I, you know, there are specific people that shouldn't fast. Um, and I'm pretty pretty disciplined about making sure they understand who they are. Obviously when I came out of the hospital, I was not fasting. My blood sugar was really hard to control. I was just, I I was literally skin and bones. Um, But then I got back about a month after I got out, I started fasting again. And and mine is not designed to like lose weight. Obviously I'm still gaining back weight. I lost, but for me, it's the cognitive improvement. Um, You know, today I did an 18 hour fast because I had have blood work drawn this morning. And I feel good. Like that's the one thing you start tapping into fat stores. You, that's a preferred source of fuel in the body anyway. You tap into fat stores and you can go longer periods of time um, without eating. And so it's, it's great. I do one 24-hour fast a month. So depending on who the person is, most people start with a, getting back to your question, start with a 16-8, 16, 16 hours fasted, eight-hour feeding window. And that works for most people. And you can make that feeding window, whatever it is, 12 to 8. 11 to seven, 10 to six, which is what I typically do. Um, I even have some people that will you know, move it till two to 10. And I'm like, whatever works for you. If you can go to bed with a full stomach, knock yourself out. Yeah, that makes sense. The, the cognitive um, alertness is what blew my mind. I didn't realize that was a yeah. thing. So um, it's a huge thing. It's a huge I, thing. 
I fasted a few times, uh, often by accident. <laughs> you know, I'll, go, <laughs> I'll just I'll forget to eat. And uh, I remember I was writing, I was working on one of my books, and uh, I just hammered out like two thousand words. And I'm like, I don't know how I did. I just sat here for like an hour mm-hmm. and a half. I was like alert. I was focused. And it took me a minute, but um, I realized, you know, it's because I've been fasting, and and you're the first person to like really, um, as a as a person of uh, expertise, explain oh, it to me why you. it works. But now I I have always understood it to be true. My uh, monkey brain was just thinking that back in our early ancestor days when we were yes. planes and we're starving to death, it's like your brain gets more focused because you need to find food. That's that was exactly. the simple idea of it. So. Um, no, and that's, I mean, that's actually something that we, we talk about in our, in our book, you know, when you yeah. talk about ancestral health, that that mimics, you know, how our ancestors ate, like some days you had feasts because you killed an animal and then the next day maybe you're eating sticks and, you know, berries. Um, but yeah, just recognizing that our bodies, I mean, it goes back to biblical times. I mean, we are designed to fast periodically, but we have been conditioned um, especially here in the United States, that we need to be snacking all day long. And what that does is it's profoundly detrimental to not only to our blood sugar, you know, kind of fuels this insulin resistance problem. And it doesn't give our body a, a break from digesting food. You know, our bodies are really designed to eat a large meal and not eat anything for four or five hours, digest, and then eat another meal. That's what our bodies are designed to do, not eat every hour or two. Right. That makes sense. So, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about your book. Um, What's the name of your book again? It's the Primal Primal Eating. Primal Eating. Yeah. Yes. Um, so so go ahead and give us the rundown. What's uh Primal Eating? I love the name of that, by the way. So. Yeah, yeah. So I co-authored this with um Primal Man on Twitter. And so we kind of walk you through um kind of the history of ancestral living, you know, how our ancestors lived, what do we advocate for? We talk a lot about the processed food industry and how that is really largely dysregulated not only our health, but our, our habits. Um, and then we dive into foods that we believe are like the core kind of primal foods and, and why. Like we give you know, the best foods to be eating um, that really get us back to a more ancestral um, health perspective. What's interesting is Chris included photos of what um, some fruits and vegetables look like in their more native form. And so yeah. there's been a lot of genetic engineering, a lot of genetic modification that makes foods look really pretty, but they may not necessarily be as nutritious. And most of the fruits that we have nowadays don't resemble anything akin to what our ancestors would have eaten. They've been bred to be very sweet. Um, you know, we bring up the mango. Uh, there's a whole um, mango thread on Twitter about, <laughs> about me and how I've kind of bastardized mangoes. Mangoes aren't awful. It's just we should not be eating copious amounts of them every day. Because uh, they are so sugary, but the point being is that the book really is designed to be a resource um, for you know men and women. It's not designed just for me- for women, um, for men or women, how to live more healthful lives. And you know, even the back, we even have a mock up of you know what a typical meal plan would look like um, from a primal eating perspective. And so we had a lot of fun putting that together and learning a lot. And and you know my my big focus and what I really took away from the book, from my perspective, a lot of the stuff I already knew was the influence of um, subsidized foods in the processed food industry and how that's really, I think, has wrecked our health as a nation. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think it's funny you mentioned the fruit. Um, I can't remember <laughs> where I read it, but there was uh, somewhere I was reading about the banana, how people always talk about how banana candy doesn't taste like the actual banana, but that was the mm. original banana that somehow we've lost uh, a banana went extinct. So you think about like dodos and, and 
bigger animals. I know, I know. And it's, yeah, I mean, everything now is bred either to look pretty or to be as sweet as possible. Like we participate with an organization and then so we essentially get fruit that they deem ugly or unattractive. It looks totally fine. Okay. Um, but my kids find it really funny. Like when we get this box of fruits and vegetables every week and it's mostly like 90% vegetables, um, they're always amazed. They're like, you know, these crazy size sweet potatoes and I got we got black radishes last night and I was like I don't even know how to I don't even know how to cook a black radish like we have to figure out how we do we treat it like a regular radish and so they have all these kind of interesting um fruits and veggies in there but at least you know you're doing something good because this is fruit that would have been wasted or vegetables that would have been um I'll have to give you the name it's um I think it's like the ugly fruit organization but when I was at paleo fx (laughs) they um they had a booth there and i was like you know i think this is great like i'd be spending this money on um you know going to the farmer's market on a saturday morning um but uh, yeah i'll send you the link so you can include it but i like it because we're doing something good and my kids get to you know they open up the box every week and and then that's a lot of what we focus on and we're like okay so this week they got russet potatoes and we got black radishes and um, I think I got I, I got extra sugar snap peas and so like things that we're gonna eat you know each evening or every day this week. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. I've never heard of that. So uh, yeah, it's it's, fun. it's amazing how much food gets thrown out in this country. It's, it's sad. It's really it's sad. Yeah, and and yet at the same time we have starving people and mm-hmm. it's it's a strange paradox and the food shortage. It's it's a complicated issue because it sounds like you just give the food that's produced uh, wherever they need it. But really, we don't have a food shortage in the world. We have an energy shortage and mm-hmm. the food of where it's plenty to where it's missing. And, um, you know, I grew up, um, I guess, privileged, um, more or less. And uh, it wasn't hard for my family to get to a grocery store. And what's blown my mind is how there are these neighborhoods where there are basically food deserts. Where they'll have like mm-hmm. a, a quickie mart or whatever, yeah. you know, the gas station. Yeah and uh there's no grocery store so mm-hmm. you know what choice do these guys have especially for the people that can't afford a car so they're stuck in their mm-hmm. neighborhood and they're just going to go and eat whatever frito lay or whoever decides to put in the gas station and good luck finding yeah i mean there. yeah i mean i trained in inner city baltimore and so for me um that was the reality of most of my patients and you know i would you know when i was a nursing student we would sometimes go to people's homes and um you know, whatever they were, whatever foods that they were able to get through food stamps were never held. I mean, it was always like the cheapest, yeah. most highly processed, most highly addictive, artificially colored, flavored garbage. And I'm like, this is what these people who deserve better are getting. And yeah. even like their markets, they might have like a tomato, mm-hmm. but they certainly wouldn't have much fresh produce. And it, it always, I mean, I, I tend to have a big heart. I mean, probably, I think most people that go into um, nursing or healthcare do. Uh, and so it was just so disheartening to me to think about how I grew up. I grew up with, um, my mom is uh, Italian. And so uh, my grandparents were huge cooks. And so was my mom. And we were eating pretty crunchy before it was cool. Like you know, my mom would make homemade whole wheat bread and we had, you know, organ meats and which I hated, by the way, I didn't love them. Um, but, you know, we ate every kind of meat you could think of. And so, uh, you know, I credit my mother that, you know, we were fairly food adventurous. Otherwise we would have starved because she didn't make a second meal. But thinking about the way I grew up with like a garden in the backyard. And then I went to, you know, train in an area where I just, it 
just blew my mind how some people um, really do sustain themselves with very little. And it just, it makes you, it makes you understand why people grow up addicted to soda and, you know, cheap foods like that. Like even, you know, being in Northern Virginia and Appalachia, uh, and they talk about how everyone's addicted to diet soda, or not diet soda, full sugar soda, and how you have babies that are getting Mountain Dew in their bottles, and they're wondering why the, everyone has dental caries or like cavities. And it's like, you know, what do we value as a society? What what is most important to us? And and sometimes we're so kind of disconnected from reality because of our own realities. You know, we don't necessarily think beyond our own circumstances. Uh, but when you're exposed to it, it's pretty. Um, I mean, it can be horrifying. It's become very disconnected from the food supply too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, my girlfriend, she likes to garden. Um, it's it's not massive. We still go through her store for most of our food, but it's something, and it's something that our kids it's are wonderful. with. It's normal. It's like, well, this is mm-hmm. food. You put it in soil. The soil has to be, you know, the right um, composition. We do some composting. We've even got some chickens. Um, that's great if you don't keep them away from each other the the chickens tend to eat the garden so (laughs) oh yeah Um, that makes sense yeah but it's it's my effort to um try to reconnect them with the actual food system Mm -hmm. it's it's just there's so many people that grow up thinking that um you know gardening is is strange and and chickens Mm -hmm. are gross and but the man I, i can't so during the winter, the chickens don't produce as many eggs because the, the light cycle is not as, there's not as much yeah. light today. So we end up eating more store-bought eggs and the store-bought eggs. Probably taste totally different. Flat and just boring yeah. compared to how rich and flavorful these yeah. uh, farm fresh eggs are. Yeah. So, um, well, and just think about how many kids have never, um, like from a very early age, we live in a county that 20, 30 minutes away, we can be you know, in farms. And so my kids, we, every single season, we were picking vegetables and picking fruits and going apple picking. And so my kids know what, where the food comes from. Uh, And, you know, I just recall having a conversation and saying how they're, you know, my kids have had a completely different existence growing up than most other people, most other kids have had. And yet it's something so simple. We've been conditioned as a society that we we don't know how to grow our own food. We can't possibly grow our own food and we certainly can't cook our own food. Um, so we've just been, you know, kind of, it's almost as if we just accepted this kind of blindly that, you know, we don't have enough time, therefore we have to buy stuff out. And, and don't get me wrong, we eat most of our foods at home. And if you can believe this, I'm married to an engineer. And so um, when I started working, um, when I stepped away from being a nurse practitioner and started being an entrepreneur, and certainly I was home more, but I was working longer hours. And so the engineer mindset, he does massive food prep on Sunday nights, lots of mostly meat so that yeah. we have meat for the week. Uh, and the kids, they, they, my kids largely eat um, paleo for lunch too. They go with thermoses and eat, you know, today it was like shredded chicken and collie rice and a couple other things. That's and so, um, you know, I jokingly say, well, we have to food prep. Otherwise we would all starve because my kids now eat so much food. Um, but they're actively involved in like food prep and my little guy who's 11, I think part of the reason why he enjoys cooking in the kitchen so much is that he now has very strong preferences for things that he wants to eat. So he knows that if he cooks, then he'll be able to more likely eat what he wants to eat. I'm going to steal uh, So it's definitely, 
I, I yeah, so it's, that's a little picky with his eating. So I think yes, some, some new skills this summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, then I mean, honestly, it's like, how nice is it if your kid can make an omelet for himself on a Sunday morning and maybe needs right. help shredding potatoes to make hash browns, but yeah. uh, largely can do most of the cooking for himself, which and now they're learning to clean up too. That's also big. I was um I was a very arrogant kid and, and young adult. Um I was convinced that No. Yeah, <laughs> I was, so I was convinced that I was gonna marry my high school sweetheart and I didn't have to learn how to do things like cooking. So Ooh. I made frozen pizzas, I could make burgers, and that was about the extent of my skills as a full grown adult. And uh then I um I left home and I started living alone and uh didn't have a girlfriend. And uh -huh. suddenly I had to scramble to figure out how to yeah. start cooking my meals. And, uh, it, it was a battle. I mean, at first it was just easy process stuff. I was mm -hmm. working from nine to five and I didn't have a lot of time. And, you know, it took me forever to figure it out. Um, mm -hmm. But going from, <laughs> going from like reheating frozen junk that was just loaded in sodium to learning how to cook, which for me was pretty much just throwing random stuff in the skillet and seeing what worked and what didn't. Then one day but that's was, a good trial and error. Trial and error was how I got through it, yeah. And one mm -hmm. day when I was hungover, I made a random impulse decision to buy a crock pot, and that saved my life. <laughs> Smart. No, I mean, our, you know, between our, um, you know, like, our pressure cooker and our slow yeah. cooker, I mean, those save us, like, I think we cooked three pounds of um, chicken breasts on Sunday afternoon and just shredded everything, and, and we were like, okay, my husband and I looked at each other, we know that at least three pounds of chicken will help, along with, you know, we had, like, grass-fed beef and pork chops and other things that we prepared well, i'm like we might be able to make it through the week with the two boys once you start getting some meal plans figured out and you get into mm -hmm. a habit of cooking it's, it's actually a lot cheaper to cook a healthy yes meal. yes you and then you have full control over what's in your food i mean that's part of you know my challenge is that when i eat out now um you know between the inflammatory inferior oils that they use um, even if, even if I do my typical gluten grains, dairy free focused on protein and veggies, which usually saves me when we go out. Um, I just find that, you know, I typically like the next day I don't feel great and yeah. it's not because I had too much to drink. It's largely because my body's just not accustomed to, you know, canola and soybean oils. And yeah. that's what most restaurants use because it's cheap. Um, you know, we were recently in Austin couple weeks ago at Paleo FX. And what I loved was that most of the restaurants we went to, they boldly would say, we're gluten-free, we're grains-free, or, you know, we cook an avocado oil. Maybe the prices were a little bit more expensive, but how nice is it to be able to eat out and not have to worry about, you know, having a food hangover the next day? As far as seed oil goes, avocado oil is still good for you? Avocado is good. Avocado is good. You know, olive oil is good. Coconut oil, you know, grass-fed butter, ghee, which is clarified butter, if you're not familiar with that, um, you know, things like lard and tallow, um, you know, you can cook in those as well. Those are all good options. But yeah, if you've got canola oil in your pantry or soybean oil, toss it. Cottonseed oil is bad. You know, and oftentimes by the time those oils even come to fruition and they're in a plastic bottle, they're highly rancid, highly oxidized. Um, and what that translates into for your body is that they're inflammatory and we want less inflammation in our bodies and not more. Inflammation is what drives insulin resistance. It drives, um, sorry, I've got a doodle that is trying to pull my earbuds out. Um, drives so many health problems. And when women or, or men are talking to me about stubborn weight gain, the first thing I start talking about is just clean the garbage out of your diet. Um, you know, a lot of the seed oils like sunflower oil, 
you'll see them in a lot of like paleofied dressings. And I always say, you know, if the option is to not, if you can't make your own and you've got to buy something that's, you know, pre-bottled, um, avocado oil or olive oil are always going to be better options than a lot of the other ones that are out there. Avocado oil. I, I kind of just bought it by random one day, but I knew, um, I need to stay away from the other seed oils and I figured avocados were healthy and that, that's become a staple. And yeah, know. it's, and it's nice cause it's very neutral tasting. Um, yeah. you know, even Costco now carries avocado oil, like in large bottles. So oh, really? yeah. So sometimes yeah. I'll tell, I actually did a whole like Facebook live, um, video on Costco finds the other day. Cause I just find people like love to know, like, what do you, what do you go and buy if you go to the grocery store? And so I did yeah. one on Trader Joe's which I affectionately call Trader Junk. Because <laughs> a lot of times there's a lot of junk in there. There really uh, is. I don't have Trader Joe's around me. I'm kind of in redneck Tennessee country, so <laughs> we don't have any of those. Um, yeah, I found a lot of people, they mean to do well when it comes to their diet. Uh, Absolutely. Just a lack of education. And they, don't, mm -hmm. they don't know what's good and what's not. I'm, I was much younger, but I was eating like hot dogs and sausages all the time for a while and then mm -hmm. some, some girl called me out and I said you know how much sodium's packed in those things I'm like I hadn't really thought about it. I thought meat was good then I looked and not to mention all the uh the, was it the nitrates that they have in there that are yeah they can be nitrates I mean you know when it comes down to like you know we're all on a journey and yeah. you know where I was 10 years ago is not where I am now so I always I always say I give everyone grace it's all about empowering and educating people to make better decisions and better decisions could be something as simple as okay my takeaway from this podcast is I'm going to try to try um, I'm going to try to find a better quality beef in my area or I'm going to toss out the soybean oil I mean every impact I mean every decision that you make that ultimately impacts your health it's all beneficial right um, and most people can't do everything all at once like they're just not in a position where they can go from A to B um, and whether it's the food that we're eating, you know, environmental choices or personal care products. I mean, they're all toxins we're exposed to. So you just want to limit your exposure to the things that can make us sick. Yeah. That's really what it comes down you to. You said it well when you said you can't do it all at once. I tell people all the time, no. focus on one thing for 30 days, like especially your diet. Like maybe you, mm -hmm. you have a problem eating ice cream all the time. Just, just cut it out. 30 days, no right. ice cream, maybe, maybe once a month, whatever you got to do. And the next month, you're kind of used to it. Start cutting out mm -hmm. soda. Just work your way through it. If you do one thing a month for, for a year, you'll have a pretty good looking diet by the end of the year. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the big thing that, I, you know, when I'm working with clients or talking to anyone is, you know, I'm a total realist. And usually in my videos, I'll talk about the things that I, you know, my kids are struggling with or I'm struggling with them. Um, not everyone is, is um, able to make those decisions because, some of us look at food as fuel and some of us look at food as comfort. Um, food has never been a comfort thing for me. That's just my personality. So for me, it, was, it wasn't actually hard to cut things out of my diet. That was pretty easy. Um, what I struggled with more were you know, changes to personal care products, like finding a clean deodorant was a whole lot harder because I was like, I am not going to see patients yeah. and stink. Like that is not a negotiable <laughs> entity. That took a whole lot longer. But we all have things that are easier for us. And so what I would say to anyone that's listening is small changes have big impact. And like you said, you know, making one change a month can have a huge impact or finding an alternative. Like maybe it's, um, you're not going to have cow's milk ice cream. Maybe you're going to try, you know, they call it an ice cream, but it's usually like a frozen banana and, and you can doctor it enough to make it taste similar, you know, consistency wise. 
Um, or just maybe you have ice cream, like you said, once a month, have the full fat, um, you know, version once a month and enjoy it, savor it, uh, and just recognize that's not something you want to be eating every day. I've got into the habit of eating yogurt instead. And that's another one where they load it with sugar. So you got to find the right mm-hmm. yogurts. Um, but there are yep. good yogurts out there that are really filling if it's healthy. Yeah. Um, yep. It's interesting you mentioned deodorant. I got into a little bit of a um, personal products. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, not a black hole, whatever. Black hole works. And uh, I, I developed this like weird rash in one of my armpits. Only one of them, though, for whatever reason. Baking and, soda? Uh, um, I forget, it was just Old Spice or something. Maybe I don't remember what it was, oh, but okay. um, I, I couldn't figure it out. So I'm, I'm Googling online and I, I assumed it was the aluminum that was in it. Which yeah, was it can be. The antiperspirant. Yeah. Yes. Um, this is basically a poison and they're putting aluminum in deodorant. So I switched from aluminum-free deodorant like less than a week later, my problem was solved. Yeah. And it's, it's scary, all the strange products they put in all mm-hmm. these different um household products my girlfriend's been making i think it's avocado shampoo oh good for her it's making her hair look better so there's there's something to it um well and something to think about is that unlike most other countries like the eu or um canada there's very little regulation here in the united states um you know in in the eu and canada there's over 1400 ingredients 1500 ingredients that are banned united states it's like 30 so the buyer beware you really have to do your due diligence you really do need to um, be conscientious about what's in your products. And so Environmental Working Group does a really great job. There's an app called Skin Deep. And so Skin Deep, you can go there and and you can actually plug in products um, and it gives a rating from like zero to 10. And so obviously lower numbers are better. And you can just literally take the app and go through your grocery store or go through whatever store you're looking in and you can get, you know, a sense of whether or not that's something you want to be using. And like I said, for me, deodorant was like the last, you know, the last frontier. That was like the last thing I cleaned up in my personal care products. Um, and now it's like everything that I use on my skin or toothbrush, you know, toothpaste, all those things have all been cleaned up. And, you know, you, you ultimately have to think about that a lot of the chemicals that are not regulated by the, by our government, which should be, um, are endocrine disrupting chemicals. And so they can disrupt our hormones. And so, um, you know, hormone disruption can impact obesity, can impact insulin resistance, can impact so many things. Our sex hormones, you talk about sometimes when you see um, obese men and women, their, you know, their sex hormones are dysregulated. And so, um, you know, men can get more female type, you know, they can get man boobs, they can have sexual dysfunction, women can deal with weight issues, they can have PCOS, there's all sorts of things that can happen. So limiting your toxic load is definitely something you want to think about. Yeah, I think, uh, I think we can all agree that men don't want to grow man boobs. So yep. Um, endocrine yep, yep. Yeah, phytoestrogens. Uh, now, the, um, the average beer has uh, those phytoestrogens. Is that, is that what yeah. Yeah. So it's like hopsy. Yep. So you have to think about like, you know, what, what's for the greater good, you know, the average person can have a beer and they're not going to have problems, but you know, if you're having a lot of phytoestrogens, I mean, just like someone was saying that, um, you know, you get this, it's an actual scientific term, but it's aromatization. So people, men can convert their testosterone to estrogen. And that's when you start seeing, you know, more like man boobs, 
more truncal obesity, which is abdominal obesity. Yeah. You can get some feminizing traits. And so those are things that I know your listeners definitely want to avoid, yeah. right? Manosphere likes to call those guys soy boys, I think. <laughs> soy boys, yes. Well, you know, yeah. it's interesting, the vernacular on the manosphere yeah. on Twitter, sometimes I have to, I'm kind of like, what? I have to like think, like, what does that mean? <laughs> yes, you don't want a soy boy. It's a bit cult-like where they've got their own uh, vernacular. Um, yes, I, they do. They... That word. It's, it's just a little played out for me um but soy boy yeah i'm a beer drinker so back to the beer is it is it all beer across the board that has the phytoestrogens or is it mostly like the the light lagers that everybody likes from and i don't you know i'm not a beer aficionado um i will look that up and i will let you know um but i i would imagine there's there's hops in all beer so yeah i think it's a good question barley hops and uh i forget the other one doesn't matter um, that's interesting. So, but everything in moderation, right? I mean, what yeah. we're we're not saying that you should immediately stop drinking beer because you're going to grow man boobs. What we're trying to say is that everything in moderation, really. I mean, that's you know whatever it is, whether it's your ice cream, your beer, your cheese, um, yeah. you know, all those things you can enjoy. Just don't eat gallons of them. Well, I'm curious about the dairy products. I, I don't eat dairy products, but for me, it's a it's a pretty easy choice. I'm not that fond of any of them, really. But I've always said that milk's for fattening up baby cows. So mm-hmm. if you want to drink milk, I think you're looking to gain weight. Um, is, is there a reason that you don't eat any dairy products or is it just that it's for fattening up people? Uh, well, that, so there's a twofold question. So I would say I just don't think humans are designed to consume dairy products after the age of two. There's really no physiologic need. Um, I personally don't consume dairy because it's really inflammatory in my body. I just don't do well with it. And I don't miss cheese. People always ask me, do you miss cheese? No. No. And there's plenty of dairy alternatives. Like I drink um, a really high quality almond milk called Malk, M-A-L-K. And then I have, there's a really good coconut milk yogurt that is amazing. It's called Coconut Collaborative. Unfortunately, they only carry it on the East Coast, but it is amazing. um, And there's no junk in it. Uh, so for me, it's like anything that I liked before that I missed, I found an alternative to, but I just don't think we're designing and from an ancestral health perspective, dairy is inflammatory. You start again, you go back to how are most conventional dairy cows? How are they treated? They're given growth hormones. They're, I mean, they're giving copious amounts of, um, you know, antibiotics. And so you drink all this pussy, um, laden milk. And it's just, I just, I don't know. I, I think, you know, when people start grumbling about gaining weight, I'm like, Hey, one of the first things you can do to make your life a whole lot easier is pull out inflammatory foods. And that's always on the number one for me. I just don't think it's necessary. Now I'm saying this and I have a husband who loves really good ice cream. He's, if he were home, he'd probably be giving me dagger eyes, everything in moderation. People, if you're going to consume dairy, make sure it is full fat and organic um, or, you know, raw milk, if that is your up your alley. I know in some states it's um, illegal, uh, but I, I would just say just be smart if you're going to have dairy. Just make sure it's organic, you know, so that you're less likely to come in contact with those growth hormones and antibiotics and pus-laden yuck that none of us should be consuming. I think the word pus would be enough to deter people from drinking it. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I was laughing because someone was saying, don't you miss cheese? I'm like, no, not really. And they were asking, do you like this almond milk cheese made by Kite Hill? I'm like, no, I've tried it once. It's horrible. <laughs> cheese, cheese is another weird one for me because cheese used to not be as prevalent. Um, 
I have a hard time going to a restaurant now because I, I'm not that crazy about cheese and given the calories, mm. more, I just don't need to eat it. But it's hard to find stuff on the menu that doesn't have cheese in it. And, yeah. I mean, a lot of times I have to ask for no yeah. cheese. And, and what I find interesting is, again, it goes back to what's subsidized by the federal government. Yeah. Dairy. Well, started, everyone got concerned about the high fat milk and they wanted to drink 2% milk. So you got all this extra fat. That yeah. Skim milk. Yep. Cheese. And they had to put the cheese somewhere. So they started yep. a marketing campaign that cheese is great and all that. So and you and you know, there's this whole like you gotta you gotta drink milk because it's good for calcium. You get more calcium in some green leafy vegetables. So I always say don't buy that. <laughs> don't buy that concept or that marketing scheme. It's so wrong. I was gonna ask about that. there's a lot of people talking about osteoporosis and how you need milk for strong bones. Um, but so leafy vegetables are a better alternative to that. There's yeah, they're green. They're, and there's lots of other options. The other thing is, you know, just strength training. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I'm I'm in my 40s, and so um, you know, because I'm a I'm a tiny thin woman. You know, they always are doing DEXA. They've done DEXA scans a few times, and they're always amazed to know that my bones are really strong. And I'm like, well, I lift weights, and I and I you know I do hit training, and so I'm doing lots of things to you know build healthy bones and same thing for men. I mean, strength training is great. And certainly in the manosphere that, you know, you and I kind of exist in, I think, you know, if you didn't lift um, or you weren't physically active, you would not probably be part of, you'd be an outlier in that group. So just taking care of yourself. I mean, it's certainly important, but yeah, green leafy vegetables, some nuts. I mean, there's lots of um, higher calcium, you know, even like orange juice has, well, it's usually fortified, but even some of the conventional orange juices that are out there. And I'm not a juice fan. Let me just be clear about that. So are you familiar with uh, the way orange juice is made and, and how it's sold? It's, it's not, it's not. Um, so orange juice, this is really gross. They, uh, they have to remove all the flavoring from it and they store it in this like clear. It's nasty. Yeah. And it stores for as much as two years sometimes. And they put an artificial no. flavoring in it to make it taste like orange juice again. And that's how it's sold. So we'll put that link in the show notes because that's that's not something I just pulled out of a hat. Um, no, that's disgusting. We do a lot of like fresh sweet orange juice. And... I read that and I was like, okay, I'm I'm done with orange juice. I don't yeah. warm my life. And yeah. The last well, and, and the problem in this big rabbit hole of finding like mm-hmm. all these lies like this. Like, oh my god, we actually yeah. are in the matrix. Our food is fake, and our <laughs> deodorants are giving us rashes. Well, and you start thinking about the fact that it's like, I always say, I always use the analogy of peeling an onion. You peel back a layer and you're like, oh my gosh, there's something else to know. And I'm, I've been on this journey for the past like five to seven years, just learning more and more and more. So much so that I went and did a, a functional nutrition program because I wanted to have the added education on top of my Western medicine education. And I remember sitting in the room and just being stunned. There were five healthcare providers in the room with me. And there were 30 of us and we were all like, oh my God, like we just could not wrap our heads around some of the stuff we were learning. We're like, wow. I mean, just unreal, you know, unlearning or relearning or slash unlearning a lot of the conventional dogma we had been given. And it's something, you know, I started off my second TEDx saying, you know, it was like I gave three statements. And so it was really designed to kind of shock the audience and people like after the fact came up to me and they were like, oh my God, I've never thought about things in that way. And I said, but there's so much dogma that's antiquated. And that's what I want to kind of be a disruptor about is let's get people thinking. You know, if you think that the federal government is designed to protect consumers, you're wrong. If you think that big interests have more to do with the food supply than they should, they do. 
um, you know, are, are most of the processed foods making us fat and obese and sick? Yes. Um, do we need to educate ourselves? Absolutely. I don't care where you are on the pendulum of change, but you know, you need to educate yourself because the federal government is not looking out for your best interests. I'm right. sorry. I mean, I, I don't, there are lots of wonderful farmers. I mean, that's one of the things, if you live in a part of the country where you have access to farmer's markets, get to know the people that grow food and, um, you know, have the animals that you're, you're consuming. I mean, they're amazing people. They need our support. I can't believe I'm even saying this um, out loud, but I'm like, they really do. I mean, we need, we need to support more people that are doing the good work um, so that, you know, we can, you know, sprout change and, and, you know, encourage other people to kind of get off the merry-go-round of nonsense that we've been conditioned to believe is, is the way that we should be eating. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of, and, and you're in the area of the country that's uh, ground zero for this. There's a lot of moneyed interest lobbyists and mm -hmm. corporate interests that have uh, poisoned our minds with all sorts of, uh, you know, outright lies in a lot of cases where they, they've convinced us to, you know, you need milk for big, for strong bones mm -hmm. or whatever. And uh, there's a lot of anti-meat propaganda out there. Mm -hmm. there's, there's just a lot of not true, um, basically sales pitches is what they really mm -hmm. are. They're just trying to sell whatever they're selling. So, you know, and that's the unfortunate it, thing is that, yeah. you know, everyone can be bought yeah. and that's what it's come down to that, you know, you can, you can pitch whatever nonsense you want to propagate. Um, you know, even, I think I was reading the other day about this faux meat product that was being peddled and pushed and yeah, not for me. I was like, for the love of God, our bodies are not designed to eat like a grown in the lab meat product. I'm like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen soil like green. That doesn't end well. So, yeah, I, I prefer eating real foods. That's why I stick with paleo, um, you know, getting the natural things. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, you're not necessarily anti-Western medicine, but you, you're, you're always pursuing uh, more natural remedies than possible. And I, I think, I think if nothing else, that's the, the one takeaway that, yeah, sometimes you need to go to the doctor, sometimes you need a surgeon, sometimes you need to take a pill. Um, but why do you need to take that pill? Because most of these pills are just mm -hmm. hiding. Um, mm -hmm. so I've got this thing, and I've done this for over a decade now, where I just refuse to take any pain meds, Advil, Tylenol, whatever. I just don't take them because it's just going to mask the problem and it helps me mm -hmm. ignore it. So if I have a headache, then I got to figure out why I have a headache. Usually it's because mm -hmm. you're not drinking enough water. Um, the, one, the one issue I haven't been able to solve yet, though, is uh, I have acid reflux. So I, I've, Oh, have they rolled out H. pylori? Is it what now? Have they ruled out H. pylori, Helicobacter pylori? I don't know. I'll have to look into that. I, I was told by my father that it's just genetic and it's just part of our family's history, and, and I take Nexium. So. Oh, okay. So the so the it gets deeper. That's, so that solves it though, which is interesting. But it's something to do with so, food. I mean, that's all I know. Yeah. So H. pylori, like the best, we can talk offline if you want to, but sure. H. pylori is very common, can be a co very common reason for reflux. And so what proton pump inhibitors do is they decrease acid secretion in, in your stomach. And so um, when you have less acid in, the, in your stomach, it's harder for you to break down protein. Um, it's a first line of defense in the body. So, you know, at 31, it probably isn't as much of an issue as it is for people that are older. Um, so always kind of looking to see why do you have reflux? So I would say there's, there's probably a reason why you have it, but you need to do more digging. 
Yeah, I, I've been kind of curious. I'm starting to figure out the foods that affect it. It's basically um, mm -hmm. orange flavored stuff, like artificial. Mm -hmm. um, for whatever reason, I like orange flavored drinks. Uh, like I saw that. <laughs> yeah, well, this is, uh, I'm drinking a kombucha. Um, yeah. So I thought in the nature of this podcast, I'd drink something kind of healthy. And no, I think that's awesome. It's supposed to help with the, the gut biome or something or other. Yeah, so it's a probiotic rich food. So definitely a healthy thing to, and what I always recommend is like when you're going to buy kombucha, just being cognizant of the sugar content because it's, it's a fermented food. Um, but usually you want less than five grams or less per serving. We got three, so we're good. Perfect. <laughs> yep, that's perfect. That's exactly what you want. Yeah, um, I've noticed that too. Some of them are almost like sodas where they're crammed with sugar. And um, I never heard the word gut biome until mm -hmm. probably within the last year or two. I heard on the on the Joe Rogan podcast, he had, um, mm -hmm. oh, I'm drawing a blank on her name, Dr. Rhonda Patrick. I think she was the one that was talking about it. And uh, I, I was blown away. You know, I took health, uh, health sports nutrition in college, but not once did I hear the word gut biome. It's, it's possible they talked about it while I skipped class once or twice. So I, I can't. I yeah. Can't well, and the other thing is, they're learning more about it now. So it's really been maybe okay. the last five years that it's become popular and understanding why it's so important. I always say, you know, think about your gut as a, as a garden. So you can have weeds in the garden or you can produce, you know, healthy, good quality gut bacteria. Um, there's a test that I work with called the GI map that's DNA based stool testing. And so it's pretty amazing to see what people have beneficial versus non-beneficial um, in their own bodies. But yeah, the gut microbiome is to be nurtured for sure. So people are going to the doctor and they're giving them a stool sample and then they're, they're, they're testing. I'm doing, a, I'm trying my best to stay like emotionally calm as I say all this. Um, and I'm yes. Um, so they're, they're testing what you're eating and what's coming out and just seeing like what's going wrong with your body. Well, well so it, it's a special test and, and most Western medicine trained doctors are not using that or nurse practitioners. Um, it's a functional medicine type test and it's DNA based stool. So it's definitive. So if you had H pylori, it would show in there. Um, but it's looking at, you know, do you have opportunistic infections? I'm trying to keep this as like straightforward as possible. Opportunistic infections tells you how well you're digesting your food. Are you able to break down fat? those kinds of things. You get a lot of good information out of a test like that. Do they test for parasites? That's how you were talking they about. They do, parasites and worms. Oh, yes. So how common are parasites for the average? Very common. Person? Worms are much less common. Worms are much less. I, I've, um, I've seen somebody that had that issue before, so it does happen. Yeah. Um, and I mean, they're, they're pretty common. I mean, think about it. If your gut is compromised in any capacity, if you don't have enough hydrochloric acid, you know, you swallow a bunch of lettuce that has parasites on it, your hydrochloric acid should kill it, right? Um, but for people that have got compromised gut immunity, um, they may, may be more susceptible to those kinds of things. Okay. So like eating probiotics like kombucha or, or uh, yogurt, is that helps in defense of, uh, of um, parasites? Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of things that come into play. I would say having good, robust hydrochloric acid levels is important. Um, you, you know, just making sure... How do you have good, robust uh, hydro, hydrochloric acid? Uh, well, you know, you're, you're, you're on the, the, you're below 40. So we know that you're, if you weren't on medication to suppress acid, then you probably would have, you know, great, you know, hydrochloric acid levels because you're young. Okay. Um, as people get older, sometimes they need to take supplemental hydrochloric acid to help with that. And um, that GI map test, actually, you can, you can see how well people are kind of breaking down their food. So 
um, you know, there's definitely things you can do to aid, you know, with that. Sometimes people will take like a shot of apple cider vinegar, you know, 30 minutes before a meal. I mean, and that's a natural way to kind of address that, or they'll eat certain types of foods to help with um, digestion. It really depends on, and that's where a good history will give you some insights into what might be going on with someone's digestion. That's interesting. Okay. So what are some signs that somebody may have a parasite? A parasite. Um, you seem to be very preoccupied with the parasite signs. Um, sometimes people have no symptoms. Sometimes people will start having bloating after they eat. They may have disruptions and they might be constipated or have diarrhea. Um, I find most people don't even know. We end up finding there are other things and, and digestion is a north to south process. So if they have H. pylori, you have to address that before you address parasites. Okay. Um, but bloating is a big common one. Um, people weight gain. I mean, it could just be vague symptoms, um, but always important to get checked out, make sure there's nothing else going on. And then doing these kinds of tests can be very insightful. All right. That's, that's wild. All right. I, you start thinking about, I was watching one of your podcasts earlier and you were talking about parasites and it just, it, it's, it's freaky as, um, you know, like I, I can bite things that I can see, you know, I can get stronger, I can get faster. But when you start thinking about like parasites and these invisible monsters that can like live inside you, it's just, it's unsettling. I get very creeped out by things I can't punch. I, I, I can, I can tell like, this is kind of your, it's just triggering <laughs> you a little bit. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I spent like six hours one night. Um, I went down some weird rabbit hole on YouTube where it said there was some video called like, do parasites rule the world? And, and it just kind of set me off. And I, I never really got any answers, but I, at one point I just had to turn the computer off and, and find something else to do. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, they're more common than people realize, but I mean, most of those you can get rid of with, you know, herbs and stuff. So not okay. too, too challenging. Okay. <laughs> All right. Is there, is there any closing notes you want to end on? Cause I don't want to end on, on parasites. Is that yeah, a- no, no. So check out primal eating. I'm going to make yeah. sure that you include a link. Um, we're really excited for you to right now it's an ebook format, but we will be um, doing a papered format soon. We're in the process of kind of figuring that all out. Um, okay. Interesting. Navigating the publishing world, figuring out how to, do yeah. it on Amazon demand and all those things, but we've gotten a good response. So we're grateful. Okay. Yeah, ebooks are great. Um, that's, that's my favorite way to sell. You know, I've done paperback. I've done ebook. I probably sell 80% ebook. 80% Interesting. Ebook. Cause I think what I find is there's the generational divide. You know, there are the people that want a, yeah. a paper book in their hands. Um, in fact, my mom, she was like one of the first people that bought the book and her biggest complaint was now I have to download it to my iPad and then I have to print it. And so it was like this big, long convoluted, wow, she um, out an ebook. that's amazing. Yes. But that's yeah, my awesome. mom's like 70 years old. Yeah. But she's 70 years it. old. So I, I still buy paperbacks. I'll buy an ebook, yeah, so I too, but yeah, I love paperbacks. So when's this book coming out? So it's already out. Um, it's the ebook is out and we are, you know, kind of in talks going back and forth about, you know, getting the paper version. We have to kind of run all the numbers and all of that, but we're getting a good response. So we're super excited. And you put me in a it's spot. written for men and for women. I got to decide if I want the ebook now or if I want to wait for the paperback. That's tough. <laughs> Very cool. Well, Cynthia, thanks for coming on. This is possibly the most educational podcast I've done. Uh, <laughs> do well, that's lot. good to know. <laughs> I tend to get a little sidetracked. I'm very ADD. If you haven't noticed it, I've, I've kept it together okay. this episode. 
um, because you've held my interest. Um, but yeah, usually we bounce around and just kind of, you know, talk random stuff. But this was very, very educational. I think people learned a lot. And you awesome. also do coaching, right? Is it, is it only diet that you do or is it other? Yeah. No, I mean, so a lot of what I do, I've kind of, I, I have one-on-one -on -one programs and then I also have group programs. A lot of what I'm focused on is hormonal health and the interrelationship between food and our health. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been an interesting ride. You know, my, my background in Western medicine was cardiology and ER medicine. And, and, you know, I've completely turned things around and enjoy doing, um, something completely different. Now I get to draw upon all that knowledge, but yeah, I, um, exist on the online space and CHT wellness. I've got a website. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. I'm kind of everywhere. So definitely check me out. That's the way to do it. I, I get every single thing I can, whether I use it, that's another debate. But yeah, I've been following you on Twitter. So go follow CHT Wellness for some uh, some insight into eating more healthy because we've all been lied to. And uh, <laughs> you and the Primal Man are doing a good job of educating people, including myself. Thank so you. Thank you for that. Thank you for coming on the podcast. And I, I genuinely enjoyed talking to you. So Thank you. It was awesome. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. All right. Ryan Fellman, Pat Tamilinis, signing off. If you enjoyed this episode of the Pat Tamilinis podcast, be sure to write us a review. That way we can reach more men that are lost and need direction in their life. And if you feel that you are lost and you need direction in your life, or you simply are looking for brotherhood, a sense of belonging, a place where you can be a man, a traditional man and be around other men who are motivated and working to build something themselves. Check out patreon.com slash to gain access to the private discord server where you can connect with other highly motivated individuals.